0: I was 11 years old the first time I ever touched a Bible. I'm sure I had seen one around, you know, like on somebody's shelf somewhere, but I was 11 years old before I ever picked one up for the very first time. And the situation was kind of strange because it was a few weeks before school started and I had an eye doctor appointment. I am completely blind without contacts and glasses. Some of you guys have seen me with glasses on. They're thicker than the bottoms of Coke bottles. So you know what I'm talking about. So I had this eye doctor appointment. I needed to get a new prescription for the school year and my grandmother was gonna come pick me up and drive me to the appointment and back home. So she picks me up, I get in the back seat. I don't even know why I was in the back seat, like she's my limo driver or something. And so I'm sitting back there and I'm bored out of my mind, you guys. This was 91 probably, yeah, 91. So there was no iPhone, there was no iPad, there was no Nintendo Switch, there were no DVD players on the back of the seat. Like it was just my grandmother's 1988 Oldsmobile Cutlass. There was nothing to do. And so I'm looking around and I notice something that I've never seen in her car before. She has a giant, and I'm talking huge, Bible on the back window, on that little area behind the back seat. And I'm looking at it like, what is this doing here? And so I pick it up, and I'm like, Grandma, is this a Bible? Do you have a Bible in your car? Now you've got to understand, this was really weird for me to see. Nobody in my family was religious. Nobody ever went to church. There was one time, one Easter that my grandmother brought me to church. And as far as I know, that was the only time she ever went to church in her adult life. So to see a Bible in her back window was very strange. And so I said, is this a Bible? And she said, yeah, it's a Bible. That's what it says. You can read. You're 11, right? My grandmother can be salty sometimes. So anyway, I'm like, (laughs) she didn't say that. She's a very sweet lady. Um, and, And so she said, of course it's a Bible. And I'm like, why do you have this? Why is it in the back of your car? It's not doing you any good here. She said, well, one of my girlfriends gave it to me and told me that I should read it. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, I've got nothing else to do. I mean, I was really bored. So bored that I decided to open the Bible and read it on the way to the doctor's office, seriously. And so I read it, started in Genesis one, read it all the way there. And I was interested and had nothing else to do on the ride home. So I read the ra- or read more on the way home. And as I was getting out, my grandmother said, Danny, she calls me Danny, you don't call me Danny. She said, Danny... Um, <laughs> It's not my favorite thing in the world. She said, Danny, why don't you take that Bible with you? Now, my guess is looking back on this situation, she knew I needed any good influence I could possibly get, right? And so she said, why don't you take that Bible with you and you can read it? And I was like, sure, why not? It was interesting. I enjoyed the first, you know, chapter or two that I read. And so I brought it with me. I went home and over the course of the next few days, I read all of Genesis. It was cool. I read all of Exodus. It's even cooler, Then I read all of Leviticus and it was not as cool. I skipped over the book of Numbers because who wants to read a book about math? Seriously, that's what I thought. I had no clue. I assumed it was like something about Bible numerology or something. And I was like, I barely passed math in school. I don't want anything to do with it in the summertime. So I skipped over Numbers and I went into the last book of of what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. I went to Deuteronomy and I started reading. And you know what I found out? Deuteronomy is just a recap of everything that happened in Exodus and Leviticus. And so I felt really cheated. I'm like, what? I was expecting new material, and instead I'm getting the recap, you know? I I thought it should have come with one of those introductions that you get on TV shows where it's like, previously on the Bible. And it just tells you everything that happened in these first two books. And so it was right around that time that school was starting. And I'm trying to make sense out of this. Like I said, the first, you know, part of the the first book was good. It was easy to understand. But the further I went, it was like the more confused I got. It just, I don't know, it was harder and harder for me to make sense out of. And because school was starting and I was getting really busy for all the back to school stuff, trying to look spiffed up and everything for my first day, I was like, you know what? Who's got time for this? I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm 11 years old, you know? And so I put the Bible down on my bookshelf and I didn't touch a Bible again for five years. I never got the urge to go open it, to read it. It was like my life, it got very busy. And the one time I had tried to read it before, it was just confusing and difficult. And so I put it down despite the fact that sure, I'd like to read it and know what it has to say. My guess is there are some of you that are here this morning and you can identify with that story. Maybe not riding around in the back of your grandma's cutlass, but like you can identify with a desire to read the Bible, but you can't quite find the time to make it happen regularly, and even when you do, it just seems like confusing and hard to make sense out of. Now, if you're that way, if that's your story this morning, let me tell you, you have come on a great morning to Connect Church because we are wrapping up our series that we're calling Too Busy Not To. And what we've done is we've looked at these rhythms and habits that God has set for each one of us to to put into practice each day in our life. And the idea behind them is if we will live out these rhythms and habits, we will not be as stressed out and strung out and overextended because of life's busyness. And so we've talked about prayer. We've talked about having rest days. We talked last week about serving. And this morning, we're gonna talk about how to read the Bible well in the middle of your busy schedule. I think it is gonna be a breakthrough morning for some of you guys. Some of you who want to know how to read the Bible, but every time you open it up, it might as well be written in a different language. So I'm gonna tell you up front, this message is gonna be just a little bit different than what you would typically hear at Connect if this is your first week, then come back next week and you'll get a, a, a flavor of what we're typically like. But this, week, this morning is gonna be intensely practical. We're gonna give you some really easy things that you can put into practice over the next couple of days or weeks if you want to in order to read the Bible. Now understand, I'm not telling you that you have to read the Bible. I'm not telling you that, you know, if you don't go home and read a few chapters this week, you're out of luck. You got to go, you know, you can't come back or anything like that. I'm just speaking to those of you guys who want to and you don't know where to start. Those of you guys who want to and you don't feel like you're equipped. So let me read one verse for you. We're going to start real easy this morning. Hebrews chapter number four. We're going to read one simple verse. The scripture says this about itself. It says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It's able to cut between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In this passage, the scripture is compared to a sword. And of course, a sword is able to do great damage to our bodies. It's able to cleave. It's able to separate. But what the the verse says is that the word of God, the scripture, the Bible is actually to, it's able to go much deeper into our lives. It doesn't do damage to our body, but it actually has the ability to cut into our hearts and into our minds and expose what's really going on on the inside. Now, that seems weird to you if you're like "Mm, maybe you need to explain that a little bit more bear with me we're going to dive into that here in just a few minutes but this morning I'm going to give you four principles about how to read the Bible well you don't need to be a pastor you don't have to have a degree if you will read the Bible with these four things in mind it will open up to you in a way you've never seen before you will look at it and say wow this is powerful You'll look at it and you'll say, maybe this text really is alive. Maybe it has the power to read me as I read it. So let me give you the first principle this morning. You need to know this. The Bible is not a book. It's a collection of books. Did you know that? Most non-believers, people who are not Christians, they haven't been around in church, you know, anything like that, this is where they get confused and tripped up reading the Bible because they think it is one book and you read it in the exact same way that you would read a modern book. The problem is that's the wrong way to read the Bible. You don't read the Bible the way you read any other book that you might find in the library because it's not a single book. It is a collection of many ancient books that have been put together for us. So let me compare like a modern book to the Bible. And maybe this will help you to understand why it's different, how it's different, and how you should read it differently, okay? A modern book generally has one author. It might have two, maybe three, something like that. But usually there's only one author. The Bible, though, is completely different. The Bible has over 40 different authors. Did you know that? 40 different people wrote the Bible. And of these 40 different people that wrote the Bible, they lived on three different continents. So they were separated. They didn't know each other. They were separated by geography. They were separated by time. And so even from its writing, and from the author's standpoint, the Bible is different than any other book that you might pick up on the shelf today. Modern books tend to be chronological, They tend to go in order. They start at the beginning and they end at the end, right? Makes total sense. The Bible's not written that way. Did you know that? If you try to read the Bible from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 21, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that there are things that are purposefully out of order. It's not told in direct sequence because the goal is not to get you to understand the order in which things happen. The goal is to get you to understand the reason why all those things happen. And so it's not chronological. And as we'll talk about in a few moments, that means you don't have to start at the beginning. If you're going to start reading the Bible, you don't have to start at Genesis 1. You can Skip all of that and jump way, way ahead if you want to. Later in the message, I'll give you a couple of ideas on where to start. It's not chronological. Modern books tend to be written quickly, even if it's like a Stephen King novel that dude wrote over the course of 20 years. That's a very short period of time in comparison to the Bible. The Bible was written over a period of about 2,000 years, a long, long period of time. And so it shows us different cultures that no longer existed by the time other books of the Bible were written, different customs, different ways of thinking and perceiving God that weren't even around by the time these later books the Bible came together. And nearly every book that you're going to read today has only one genre. The genre is the type of literature that you're reading. So it's a fiction book, or it's a technical manual, or it's a nonfiction autobiography. It's a textbook. Every single book that you're going to read fits into a genre, a type of literature or writing. And every book today fits one category. But because the Bible is not a single book, it is a collection of books together, it's got all kinds of different genres in there. And that's really, really important because if you want to make sense out of any particular passage of the Bible that you're reading, you have to understand which genre of literature you're reading. So the Bible has history, it's got law, it's got wisdom, it's got poetry. The Bible's got some pretty solid romance in there. You might not know that, but it's actually got an entire book that's nothing but hot, hot romance. It's got history, New Testament history. It's got individual letters, like we call them epistles, which is a weird word that never gets used, but essentially it's ancient email. That's all it is. Okay. It's got apocalyptic literature, prophecies about the future. It's got all of these different genres. And if you read a verse and you want to understand it, you have to know which kind of genre you're reading. Let me give you an example. This is a fun one. I like this one. If you go to Leviticus chapter number 19, remember Leviticus is one of those books that I had read way back when I was 11 years old. And it was like, cool, but not cool. It was harder for me to understand. If you go to Leviticus chapter number 19, verse 28, the Bible says this, Do not mark your skin with tattoos. Now, I've had some well meaning folks come to me and say, Daniel, are you not familiar with Leviticus chapter number 19? You're a pastor, bro. Do you not know the Bible at all? What kind of school did you go to? The Bible clearly says, do not mark your skin with tattoos. So, Daniel, you sinned when you got tattoos. Shouldn't have done that. You broke God's command for you. But, When you understand the genre, the type of writing that this is, you find out that it's not as cut and dried as people want to make it out to be. You see... This is not like a writing, a command that's binding on everybody, all cultures throughout history. The genre of the book of Leviticus is ancient law, or we might call it a history book. It tells us the rules and customs that were enforced in a Middle Eastern society that lived like 3,000, 3,500 years ago. And so to take those laws from that culture on the other side of the planet and to import them wholesale into the modern world and say we are required to live by them is unfair. It's not the way you should read the Bible. These are not rules that are written for everybody at all times. They were rules that were written for one set of people in one location around the world at one specific time in history. So, Now, you might say, as I read through the book of Leviticus, I see some rules and laws that we do follow, though. So it seems like you're being selective here, Dan. You don't mark your skin with tattoos or you don't follow that one anymore, sure, but you still follow the the 10 commandments, thou shalt not lie, commit adultery, all that stuff. So it seems like you're picking and choosing. Well, let me tell you the, the strategy that will help you to make sense out of all of this. If a command is repeated in the New Testament, then it's binding. If it's not repeated in the New Testament, if you only find it in the Old Testament and nowhere else, and by the way, if you're confused by Old and New Testament, I'm gonna explain that in a sec. If you only find something in the Old Testament and it's not repeated in the New Testament, then you it's not binding on you. It was written for one culture at one time. But if you find something as well in the New Testament, then it becomes something we need to seriously consider if we wanna be a follower of Jesus. So another example would be in Leviticus. It says that you shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't sleep around on your wife. And in the New Testament, we find the exact, same command. And so anything in the old that's repeated in the new is something that we as followers of Jesus need to consider. We need to put into practice in our lives. But the genre is incredibly important. Because if I just look at the Bible as a list of rules, thou shalt and shalt not, um, this is what God says you have to do every single day, then I'm going to be very confused when I read some of these passages specifically in the Old Testament. That's why people come up and they're like, oh, you're a hypocrite. You don't follow this passage. And they'll quote something from like Leviticus or Deuteronomy. And I'm like, guys, you don't even understand the basics about the Bible. I wish you understood what you were talking about, because then we could have a real conversation. But at this point, you don't even know the right questions to ask. It can be very frustrating to read the Bible if you don't understand this one thing. It's not a single book. It's a collection of books. So throughout this message, I'm going to give you some tips for reading, some things that apply to the principle I just gave you. If you'll start to do this, put it into practice, the Bible will be much easier for you to read. So as you're reading, I want you to ask a few questions about whatever verse or passage you're coming across. The first question is this, is this verse in the Old Testament or in the New Testament? You see, the Old Testament is everything that happened in the Bible before the birth of Jesus. The New Testament is everything that happened after the birth of Jesus. That is the defining moment in the Bible. It's also the defining moment in human history. Like we, we date our calendar by B.C. and A.D. still, right? But this moment becomes the dividing point between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament is binding on us as Christians. We need to take the rules in there seriously. We need to follow them. But in the Old Testament, these are a collection of stories of how God related to a specific group of people at a specific point in history. They might be binding on us, but they also might not be. And so we need to know, is this verse found in the Old Testament or the New Testament? The good news is every single Bible divides the same way. The the first 39 books of the Bible are Old Testament. The last 27 are New Testament. And it tells you this is old, this is new. Makes it easy, okay? You need to ask what genre of writing is this? Is it poetry or is it prophecy? Is it a history? Is it a command? You need to ask that question. And if you don't know the answer, there are some ways that you can find out. And I'll give you some some, um, resources in a moment. And then the last thing, and this question can revolutionize your Bible study. If you really want to make sense out of the Bible, this is the question that I want you to ask of every single passage you read. Is this verse prescriptive for me or is it descriptive of them? Is it prescriptive? That means, is it a command? Is it something that's written down that needs to be true of me? Or does it simply describe what happened at a point in history? So when you read the Bible, you're going to read some really gnarly stories. And I mean that sincerely. Like if you start studying the Bible, you will find stuff that puts Game of Thrones to shame. Like stuff that you're like, oh my gosh, how can this be in the Holy Word of God? Are you kidding me? Like crazy stuff. I'm hoping I'm tempting you just a little Little bit because it's really, really good, you guys. Like, there is some super interesting stuff. Now, here's the thing just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean God approves of it. Do you understand that? So, like, you'll read a story of a sexual assault that happens in the Old Testament. And, and, and people today will read it and they're like, oh my gosh, these are supposed to be God's chosen people and look how awful they were. Just because the Bible tells us what they did, just because it describes what happened in history, doesn't mean that God is like, in fact, I want all of my followers to do the same thing. No, of course not. God wants us to follow a completely different set of rules and laws and specifically to avoid some of those evil things. So there are lots and lots of places in the Bible where the words are descriptive, not prescriptive descriptive, and you'll get yourself into trouble if you confuse those two, okay? Let me give you another principle here. Oh, by the way, let me just say, um, when it comes to that, if you're trying to figure out what genre it is, you want some help understanding where it fits, in nearly every Bible, you have an introductory paragraph at the beginning of the book, and so you can read it. It'll tell you who wrote it, when we think it was written, and what the point of the message is. So that'll help you a lot when it comes to Bible study. Hey, the second thing you need to know is that the Bible is not written about me. It is written for me. The Bible is not written about us. It is written for us. See, we have this tendency to read the Bible and to make it all about us. We're, so, like, we're part of this selfie generation, right? And so we pick up our phones and we look at ourselves and we want to pick up the Bible and do the same thing. Where am I? How do I fit into this? The problem is we're really bad at finding ourselves in the story. We, uh, we talked about this in our character series back in January. We had this tendency to open up the Bible to find the hero of whatever story is in there and to say, that's me. Today's superhero day for our kids. And we're telling these kiddos, it's wonderful. It's a good thing to be a hero, but there's only one true hero. There's only one ultimate hero, and that's Jesus. And the truth is, every single story in the Bible points not towards me, but towards Jesus. I want to read it and say, oh my gosh, I'm like David. I'm the brave one that's willing to slay Goliath when nobody else is. No way! I'm the wimp hiding out with everybody else. I want to read the story and say, like, I'm Daniel. I mean, I am Daniel, but I'm like... I'm like Daniel in the in the lion's den, you know? I just put my faith in God and he protects me and I overcome. I'm the champ, I'm the hero of the story. No, every one of those small stories in the Bible points towards the big story, the story of how God would invade our world to rescue us from the mess that we created. Every single little story points towards the big story of Jesus. That's why when I read like Genesis uh, chapter three, let's say, I don't see myself in Adam. I don't see it as a story about me and my screw ups and my failures and all that. You know what I see? I see a savior who came into the world and passed his garden test so that I could have life instead of death. That's what I see. When I read through the Bible, you know, I don't see like, uh, I don't read the story of Abel and how he was murdered unjustly and see somehow my own difficulty and the guy who treats me bad at the office and, oh, I'm so persecuted. No, the story isn't about me. The story is about Jesus who was murdered unjustly. And whereas Abel's blood, the Bible said, cried out for vengeance and justice, Jesus' blood cries out for forgiveness in my life. When I read the story of Isaac, I see a savior who was sacrificed By his father. I don't see myself as the sacrifice, it's Jesus. When I read the story of Moses, I see Jesus as the deliverer who sets his people free from slavery. That's not my job. I can't set any of you free. I'm not that smart. I'm not that powerful, but Jesus is. When I read the story of Joshua, he's the deliverer who who leads people into the promised land. When I read the story of David, I see Jesus the victor when I'm scared and afraid and don't know what to do. When I read about the Passover lamb, I find the the, the savior who was sacrificed so that I could have life. I, I think about Jonah and I see Jesus who went under for three days, but he didn't stay there. On and on and on it goes. Every single one of those stories points towards the big story. The Bible tells God's story, not my story. If I am not careful, I will take this and make it into self-help. I will make it all about what I do and don't do, how I perform. God's love is based on all of these things and I will miss the point of the Bible, Can I encourage you with no disrespect to anybody, stop reading the Bible to get your best life now. Stop doing that. Read the Bible to get to know the God who created you and moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. The stories are not about you. They're about Jesus. They're put here so that you can have a relationship with him. If non believers tend to get the first one wrong, Christians tend to get this one wrong. We tend to make it all about us. So let me give you a reading tip here. Ask yourself every time you're reading a passage in the Bible, how does this point towards Jesus? Because in some way, shape, or form, it will always point towards Him. He's the one for whom these stories actually exist. Let me give you another principle the Bible is not a weapon, it's a mirror. When you read through the scripture, you know what you find over and over again? The Bible exists to reveal to us who God is and who we really are. If we're honest, Christians have used the Bible as a weapon throughout history and it's never gone well from like the big scale where imperialist countries used it to justify conquering others and holy wars and all these different things to the smallest scale, you know, like when you were growing up and your Auntie Karen told you that God hates those people over there. We've used the Bible as a weapon. And yet when you read this passage, when you read Hebrews chapter number four, what did it say? It says it's alive. It says the scripture is powerful. It is able to discern, to make clear our own thoughts and intentions. See, the Bible is not meant to be used on them. It's meant to be used on me. The reading the Bible is reflexive. It's like, I can't read the scripture and be like, dang, I wish my wife would put this into practice. It's not about her. It's about me. You can't say, gosh, I wish the government would learn this and start doing it every single week. No, it's not about them. It is about you. You. And so the Bible becomes a mirror. It reveals to us who we really are. When we say, like, oh, you know, this person needs to read it and that person needs to read it, and we ignore the sin in our own hearts and lives, then we have missed the point. We've used the Bible in a way that it really was never intended to, and it loses the power that it should have in our lives. The scripture says Hebrews in Hebrews 4, the Bible is a two, it's like a two-edged sword, it cuts both ways. It can get to our hearts just as easily as everybody else's. Let me show you one more passage of scripture. First Corinthians chapter number five. The Bible says this, Paul is writing, he's like a very famous church starter. Um, He planted or began new churches right after Jesus died. And he says this, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, non-believers, people who don't claim to be a follower of Jesus. It's not my responsibility to judge them, but it certainly is our responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. That is, the Bible is a mirror. It shows us who we really are, not a weapon to be used on those in our city. God will judge those who are on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil from among you. If you read the Bible and all you see in it is what everybody else needs to put into practice, shut the book and stop reading it until you can understand why the Bible was really written. It's not helpful. In fact, you're giving the rest of us a bad name. Use the words there to address the brokenness in your own heart, not the brokenness that you see in everybody else's heart. So here's your reading tip. Ask yourself as you're going through this, what would happen if this truth were explosively alive in my life. Not if my wife started doing this, not if everybody else started doing this, but if I put this into practice, how might things change? One more quick principle for you. Reading the Bible is not a solo project. It is a spirit-led process. It's not something you have to figure out on your own. I understand you don't have theological education. Maybe you're new to all of this. You don't even know where to start. That's okay. We all have to begin somewhere, but you don't have to continue to read on your own. You should read in the context of community, other people who help you to understand what the Bible says. Because each one of us, when we approach the Bible, we come with our own set of like background and biases and sin and all of these different things in our hearts. And so we don't even know how to read the Bible well on our own. So let me encourage you to do this. Anytime you open the Bible, you should pray. That should be the first thing. You should be like, God, I am too dumb to understand what this says. You have got to supernaturally somehow illuminate this truth in my heart, or I'm never going to be able to make sense out of it. The, the Bible says, though, the good news is that the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to illuminate truth, to help us to understand when our minds hit the, the, the end of their ability. So Pray. Every time, ask God, God, help me to understand this and help me to apply it. Let me encourage you also to read it in community. If you don't understand something, ask somebody, right? Like the the number one email and text message and Facebook message that I get as a pastor is, Dan, I was reading this passage in the Bible and I don't understand what the heck it's talking about. Can you help? Do you have any idea how excited I get when I get those kind of messages? Like if you're gonna email me and complain about Sunday services, nobody's got time for that. But if you wanna know what the Bible means when it says in 2 Samuel, whatever, I'm so glad to give you answers to that because it means you're engaged in the scripture. And this is why I do what I do. I wanna help you guys come to terms with who God is and what he has for your life. And so I'm very glad to help. Let me encourage you, get involved in a connect group. One of the ones that is specifically geared towards Bible study and um, spiritual relationship. I just think that would be super helpful for you. And what we find is that reading the Bible in the context of a large... Larger community is corrective. What I mean is it's not super uncommon for people who read the Bible all on their own to be like, oh my gosh, I just discovered a new hidden message in the Bible. Like there was some guy recently, you may have seen him on the news and he predicted that the world was going to end yesterday because, you know, he found some secret code in the Bible. We're still here. So it turns out he was wrong. If he had read it in community, guess what? Somebody would have said, no, you didn't. Are you kidding me? No way. So reading the Bible in community is the best way to come to understand it. You should read on your own, but you shouldn't read only on your own, right? Here's your reading tip. Get a few good Bible study aids. Get a few good ones. There's nothing wrong with this. Nobody is born knowing the Bible. We all have to learn. And so there's nothing wrong with getting a few resources that will help you. I would encourage you to get a good Bible dictionary. You can get them at chapters or um, Indigo, wherever. You can get them at any bookstore. Get a concordance, which basically tells you every place in the Bible a specific word comes up. So let's say you want to do a study or you want to know what the Bible says about heaven. You look up heaven in the concordance and it gives you a list of every place that word's found in the Bible. Very helpful. Get a commentary. That's basically like having a pastor at your desk every day saying, well, this is what this verse means, you know? So it can be really helpful. You can either get print copies or you can get online copies, BibleGateway.com, BibleStudyTools.com. I use those every single week. They're super convenient and helpful. All right. We're going to wrap up this message. We're going to finish it up with a lightning round. Because like every sermon I've decided has got to end with a good lightning round. There's just no better way to end a Sunday morning service. So we're going to do a lightning round. Real quick hits on questions you might still have. Number one, should I use a paper or an electronic Bible? I don't care. Go read the Bible. I don't care if it's digital. I don't care if it's paper. Find what works for you and go read it. Now, you need to be cautious of distractions. If you have uh, an electronic Bible and you're constantly getting badges and pings and notifications and it's pulling your focus away, then maybe set that aside and pick up an old-fashioned paper Bible. But find what works and then read. Okay, um, We have free Bibles out at the Welcome Center. They are completely free. The whole reason they're there is so that when you walk out, you can say, hey, I don't have a Bible. Can I have that one? Yes, take it. It's free. We want you to have a copy of the scripture. Or if you're more into the digital thing, go to the app store and download Version. It's the most popular Bible. It's fantastic. You will uh, get a lot out of it. Second question, which translation should I use? All right, there are a few options. I tend to preach and read from the New Living Translation, also known as the NLT. That's a great place. It's very readable. It's easy, especially if you're brand new to Bible study. You can also check out the English Standard Version or the New International Version. Hey, if you wanna go real old school and read the King Jimmy, you can do that. It's beautiful, it's like the height of the English language, it really is. But if you're gonna read it like, oh, how do I apply this to my life? It might get a little bit harder. So I recommend those three translations, especially if you're just learning to read the scripture on your own. When should I start reading? Or Yeah, where should I start reading? Sorry, where in the Bible? I told you before, the Bible is not written chronologically. So you don't have to start in Genesis. In fact, I recommend that you don't start in Genesis because you'll go to Genesis and Exodus and you'll be thumbs up. Then you'll get to Leviticus and you're like, I don't even understand what's happening anymore. So instead go to the gospels. The gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? The normal names. Go to the gospels, go to the gospels, And read them. Those are all the stories of Jesus they're all right there all together so I would read one or two of the Gospels then I would move also in the New Testament to the book of James which is a very practical book on how to live out your faith in Jesus and then go back to Genesis or go somewhere else but start with the Gospels um, when should I read like is there a specific time do I have to do this in the morning do I have to do it at night no find a time that works for you so if it's 10 minutes on your lunch break and you can get away and just spend a few minutes reading a few verses do that if you have to get up 10 minutes early, do that. If you have to wait until everybody else goes to bed, do that. If you have to get the Bible on podcast and listen while you're driving down the road, whatever it takes, there is no wrong time. So jump in anytime you can. How often should I read the Bible and how much should I be reading in one sitting? Let me just say this. I'm not going to give you specific numbers or anything like that, but what I think is reading a little bit regularly consistently is much better than reading a bunch of it sporadically. You're like, yeah, like two months ago, dude, I read three books from the Bible. Awesome. What have you read since then? Not much. What do you remember from those three? Mm -hmm. Because if you read in big chunks, you tend to forget stuff. But if you take just a little bit each and every day, man, that word is alive. It is powerful. It can transform you. Last thing here, how do I make my Bible reading more helpful? Like you, I've had people come to me and they're like, Dan, I don't understand. When I read a passage in the Bible, I just don't get anything out of it. You're pulling these principles out and you you phrase them all fancy-like and stuff, you know? But when I read it, I just don't even know where to go. Let me give you a series of questions that might help you. This is like Bible study 101. When you're reading a passage and you want to make sense out of it, ask first, what does it say? What does it actually say? The obvious surface level. Then ask, what did it mean for the original audience? Who was this written for? Was it written to Israelites who lived on the other side of the planet thousands of years ago? Or was it written to Christians who are following Jesus in the modern world? And then I would would encourage you to ask this last question in a very specific way. Ask, what does this verse mean for me? Not what does it mean to me? Because that's the worst question you can ask when you read the Bible. It doesn't matter what it means to you. We know that there is a meaning in the scripture. There's a meaning in this verse. And so our job is to uncover what is already there. What does this mean for me and not to me? Why should you read the Bible? Why does it even matter? Let me tell you, the goal of Bible reading is to transform your heart and not just inform your mind. This is ultimately what happens. The the scripture I've discovered in my own life, it is alive, it is active. And when I read it, my life changes for the better. When I let it gather dust on the shelf, I turn out to be a bigger jerk than I ever realized. It's just like the Bible has this way of exposing who I really am and how much I desperately need God. It has the same power in your life. And my hope is you'll start reading it, believing that you are fully capable of understanding it, applying it, and getting a ton out of it.